Hello and welcome to this episode of the Data Center Frontier Show podcast. I'm Matt Vincent, Editor-in-Chief of Data Center Frontier. We're here today with Stephen Carlini. Stephen is VP of Innovation and Data Centers for Schneider Electric for a podcast entitled uh, Reimagining Data Center Design by Breaking Down the Challenges of AI. Um, with extensive global experience, Stephen leads the Energy Management Business Unit's Office of Innovation and Data Center Solutions for Schneider Electric. Um, his team is focused on spearheading Schneider's data center, digital energy, and residential businesses. He also leads Schneider Electric's Energy Management Research Center. And in 2023, Steve was named to Capacity Media's Capacity Power 100, a list of the quote, trailblazers, innovators, and leaders driving the global digital infrastructure space. Steve's areas of focus include innovation, AI, hydrogen, sustainability, 5G and 6G, cloud and edge computing, DSIM, BMS, and EDMS. So, for today's podcast, the premise is AI is here and it's growing at an unprecedented speed currently representing 4.3 gigawatts of power demand and projected to grow at a CAGR of 26% to 36%, uh, resulting in a total demand of 13.5 gigawatts to 20 gigawatts by 2028. And while next-gen physical infrastructure systems will eventually leverage more AI, data center operators will need to pivot quickly to support AI workloads and systems available today. So, in this episode of the DCF podcast, uh, Stephen is here to uh, steer, here with us to break down the challenges of AI for each physical infrastructure category, including power, cooling, racks, and software management. Uh, specifically, in the discussion, uh, we're going to unpack recommendations for liquid cooling. Uh, we're going to unpack six key cooling challenges that data center operators need to address. With AI also impacting sustainability due to escalating energy consumption and water usage, it's also important for operators to implement sustainability strategies based on a standard set of metrics, allowing for benchmarking and organizational alignment, and we'll be talking about that as well. So that's a lot of talking from me before getting to say, hello, Stephen, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Oh, Matt, very glad, very glad to be here. Some exciting stuff going on in the industry, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, let's just dive right into it. Uh, Schneider Electric has a new guide, a new white paper uh, entitled The AI Disruption, Challenges and Guidance for Data Center Design. Um, the guide takes a comprehensive look at AI and what it means for data centers. Why do you think this uh, particular uh, guide is getting so much attention and uh, what are some of the challenges that uh, AI is posing to the data center industry? I think it's getting so much attention because it's one of the things that, regarding AI, that very few people are talking about. I think the expectation is, is that these applications for AI, generative AI, you know, predictive analytics, these things you know, need to happen. And the data centers that support it, which are you know, the unsung heroes of of AI are just supposed to, you know, materialize somehow. Um, it's 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 fascinating that 
you know, AI is such a broad topic and everyone's talking about the implications on society, on work, you know, on, on learning, on, on everything else. But to, 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 to be able to be able to even have those discussions, there has to be the physical infrastructure in place. And the reason it's getting so much attention is because it's so much so much different. For, for for years, data centers, you know, after the mainframe era, you know, af, as we went to, you know, x86 servers and server farms and these hyperscale data centers built with one, two socket servers that were run serially, these new servers um, actually use GPUs, but they're CPUs, but the CPUs control the GPUs that are the accelerators and also DPUs, data processing units, as part of these servers. And these GPU accelerators all run in parallel as one giant um, server, if you will. So all the processing is done in parallel. And it's such a different way of, of, of architecting, even though they kind of look like the same kind of server. They are, they're much bigger, they're much heavier, uh, much, uh, much deeper and they generate a lot more heat uh, because they use uh, substantially more power. So, so there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of um, a discussion in the industry about uh, scaling these data centers. And the, the reality is, is that the demand for these types of servers to train uh, large language models is, is outpacing the supply. So we're in a situation where, you know, if the industry could build, you know, more data center capacity, you know, three, four, even five times what we're building right now, which is a lot, which is more than we've ever built in history, uh, it, it would be, it would be uh, under, under production right now. Understood. Uh, thanks for putting that all together for us. Um, one area of particular focus with AI and data centers is the extreme rack power densities of AI training servers. Can you talk about why that is so challenging at this particular moment? So densification. So so if you're designing a data center from scratch and, and building it from scratch, things are a little bit easier, but they're still going to be very, very challenging because these data centers are 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 going to be much denser the densification of these servers is going we're going to we're going to try to put as many of these servers with gpu accelerators into iraq as possible and the reason is not only to save floor space and real estate space it's because like i said they're all operate in parallel uh, the farther you put them from each other the more challenging it is for them to be synchronized. So these are connected through a network fabric that you know in typical data centers could be 20 gig, 40 gig, 60, 80. Um, these are usually at you know 400 gig. So so the 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 fiber that connects all of these servers and GPUs together is very expensive. So the the challenge is to put these uh, in, in as dense of a cluster. So, you know, it's a server into a rack and the rack into an AI, they call, it's called an AI training cluster, which is usually, you know, eight, 10, 12 racks of, 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 of AI servers all 
put together. It's further complicated by the need to uh, cool these. So the more power you put into the rack, the more heat, uh, the more heat that comes out, uh, the, 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 the higher the power density and the uh, power connection. So you have a tremendous amount of, of cooling, um, cooling connections and tubes running in and out, bringing hot fluid in, hot fluid or cold, cold fluid in, hot fluid out, and through manifolds and cooling distribution units that you didn't have before. You have uh, more power supply connections because the servers are pulling a lot more power and have big redundant power supplies running them. So it's a very, very massive challenge in the back of these racks to run your power systems, your cooling systems all together in a very, very dense environment. Got it. Yeah, on the uh, on the cooling uh, part of this, uh, we've been hearing a lot uh, lately about liquid cooling when it comes to AI and data centers. Um, can you address the importance of achieving a successful transition from air cooling to liquid cooling to uh, support growing uh, thermal design power or uh, TDP of AI workloads and uh, what that would entail? Sure. And just to be clear, this hasn't happened yet. It's, it's, it's in process. If you look at uh, chat GPT-3, chat GPT-4, these were all, these models were trained uh, on air-cooled servers. So, so the, the move to liquid cooling is done because the, the, the heat output is, is getting higher. And if you're designing it from scratch, you know, you do have the opportunity to use liquid cooling, which is more efficient than, than different air cooling methods. So you could go up to uh, reasonably, you know, 70, 100 kilowatts uh, per rack. The designs that, that we're seeing are, are, you know, more direct to chip types of liquid cooling. So within the server itself, there's, there's dielectric fluid that's, that is rotating and is actually making contact with the back of the chip. And then you have another loop of the, of the fluids that's outside. So there's a little bit of a heat exchanger in the server. So the cold water comes in, it cools the, the liquid inside of the servers and the hot water comes out and is re rejected and comes back as cold water. So it's very challenging because you may have, you know, 42 pipes of, you know, cooling coming in and cooling coming out. So uh, they all have to have, you know, uh, a regulated temperature, flow rates. Uh, there's a cooling distribution units involved. So the programming and the complexity is is something that that's new, that we're that we're you know have to you have to dial it in uh, um, for each data center, and that's why like digital design tools are becoming you know much more much more important. The the uh, the ability to do digital twins of of your layouts of the cooling flows and be able to know before you build it in the physical world. Uh, has a lot, a lot of advantages uh, rather than just building it and then, you know, um, making, making um, uh, changes to it to optimize it after deployment. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, in the same zip code as the uh, digital uh, twins uh, element of, of the uh, discussion, um, if liquid cooling is a recommendation for data centers with AI clusters, how do you see that 
technology evolving in the future. And uh, do you think it's going to be an evolution or more of a revolution? I think liquid cooling's been been around for a long time. It's 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 it hasn't it's not something new. The original supercomputers, if you remember the Cray supercomputers, the original IBM mainframes, they were they were all liquid cooled. So liquid cooling is 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 not something, um, not something that's 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 brand new. And like I said, it is happening now with these with these servers. And I think the industry uh, has you know you know. Uh, the ability to design these digitally, like I was saying, but also uh, the ability to, you know, use AI to be able to to model and to be able to optimize the performance of these systems, which is something we couldn't do before. So you're using AI to design the systems that that are going uh, to operate the or develop the AI models, which is which is something that's interesting. Oh no, it's a catch twenty two. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just know that, uh, you know, our, our associate publisher is out at SC23 and he's been uh, telling me some uh, liquid cooling uh, anecdotes, uh, particularly on the uh, immersion cooling uh, side. Some of the stuff he's been seeing, I guess, has been uh, amazing out there. Yeah, it's, a, it's just an amazing technology. There's there's technology, you know, that's, you know, starts as a liquid, comes back as a gas, is, you know, there's... The, dual phase dual phase type of a cooling so there's all kinds of complex uh, ways you can do it um, it's 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 going to be interesting to see to see exactly you know the 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 acceptance of, of liquid cooling and how 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 pervasive it actually is in data center designs um, if you're a if you're an operator a colo operator if you have an existing data center it's tougher like I said, to retrofit when you're designing from scratch, you can do some really cool and sophisticated designs. Um, if if not, then you know you may have to kind of adapt to what you can put in. And we're seeing a lot of like rear door heat exchanger designs. So we're working with a lot of accounts that are that are trying to put you know specific either cages or or clusters in place. And you know the, the the way to do it that you don't get the the highest power density possible, but you do uh, have the ability to deploy at you know fifty kilowatts, sixty or 70, even seventy kilowatts per rack, you know by retrofitting existing designs. Uh, the issue with doing that is you know there's only so much power coming in, and the floor space may have been designed for you know ten kilowatts per rack, so you're going to end up with you know, 70% of the floor space now being being vacant that you could maybe use for pickleball courts or some, something else. <laughs> right. Thanks. Thanks for those insights. Um, before we wrap up, I, I want to take you uh, briefly down the uh, road of uh, sustainability here. Uh, I have to ask, uh, what updates did Schneider Electric make to its guide to environmental sustainability metrics for data centers white paper? And uh, what drove those updates? Right. So, so about eighteen months ago, we we published a white paper that was the first white paper that was specific for recommended recommending data center metrics. So there were there were five categories. There was there was energy. There was there was greenhouse gas. There was water. There was waste. There was biodiversity. Um, we you know. Everyone applauded the you know these metrics, um, but 
what we found out was people were using these for industries even outside of data centers. So we were we were we were we were happy that there was so much uptake, but then we we missed a few things like we didn't have on on the energy use like what was the server utilization. So that's a you know a data center specific me- uh, uh, metric. Uh, battery recycling. There's lots of batteries, you know, in data centers and the UPS system. There's also a lot of e-waste. So we put categories into the waste of batteries and e-waste. On the biodiversity section, we had, uh, it was very limited. So we decided to to broaden that to ecosystems. And depending on where you live, and I was talking to people today that have never, you know, driven past the data center, never, never, been near a data center, and there's other peoples that have data centers in their backyard. And if you have a data center in your backyard or you're near a data center, you know that, you know, it could be very, very noisy. So, so things like noise, we we added to the uh, the biodiversity and ecosystem section. Um, we added uh, some metrics for water replenishment. So, water usage is a, you know also a big factor in data center sustainability. And we added uh, more metrics to make it clearer uh, what you should be reporting on on your water. And we did eliminate some of the redundant. There were some greenhouse gas uh, uh, metrics that we thought were redundant to some of the other ones. So we really streamlined it and clean, cleaned it up uh, to, to, to present the, the case in a very, very clear manner for data center operators. Understood. Uh, Well, Steve, uh, it's been a pleasure and it's also been uh, very informative. Uh, I want to thank you uh, so much and thanks to uh, Schneider Electric for uh, having you join us here today on the uh, Data Center Frontier Show podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. So long. 